just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. Welcome back to the Rational Boomer Podcast. Now we're mid-October. Things here in Minnesota starting to get a little colder, a little grayer, a little windier. And I always hate this time of year. I mean, I love the beauty of Minnesota in October, but I know what's coming, and that's the winter. Even though I was born and raised here, lived through it all my 61 years, I don't like winter. I don't do much in winter. I don't ice fish, I don't ski, I don't snowmobile. I usually sit inside until such time I have to go outside, warm up my car, and struggle to my next stop, wherever that may be. But this time of year presents probably the chore I hate the least, and that is having to bring my boat across a couple of bays and storing it. Well, first and foremost, it's bad because now I'm not going to have that option to go out in the boat for another six, seven months until things warm up here. That Studio B that I call it out on the lake in the boat won't exist for at least six or seven months. But even more importantly, and the thing I hate more than that is when we get to mid to late October, around here it gets colder, windier, grayer. And I've got to take this damn boat across two or three bays and uh, take it to be put up for the winter. Well, this time of year, it's not unusual to get in the boat, go across that bay, and have the temperature be about 50 degrees, the wind blowing. I have to struggle across the lake. When I finally get to where it's going to be stored... All they have is a bunch of these tiny, very thin slips, and they're all back-to-back, so you don't have a lot of room to maneuver. You're trying to get this boat in these tiny slips that just barely fit. You got the waves going, and man, I just can't do it. I mean, I can handle my boat. I don't have any problems with it, but when it comes to that and going over there, man, I don't like it. And every time I've had a problem with it, and it's taken a long time to put it in a slip. Now, I can put it in my slip, One try and no problems. But when I go over there, when it's cold and it's windy and the waves are going, (laughs) it's almost embarrassing. I feel like a kid trying to park a car who's never driven a car before. So this time, I'm going to call them up ahead of time and say, look, I'm bringing my boat over and I'm going to park it by the gas pumps. I'm going to tie it up there. And then you take it from there. I'm not going to try that bullshit. It's ridiculous. (laughs) The whole concept of putting the boat away for six or seven months is depressing enough. But when I have to make a fool out of myself in the process, nah, I'm not doing that shit anymore. I'm paying too much to have it stored, and uh, they're going to have to deal with it. (laughs) I'll let you know how it goes. Well, we've got a lot of things going on in this country, and... uh, We'll be talking about a number of them in this show. The first one I wanted to bring up is something we've talked about a lot, the uh, bipartisan infrastructure bill and the reconciliation build back better bill. Now, that's the big one. 
the $3.5 trillion. And that's the stumbling block in getting both these things passed. And unfortunately, the stumbling block isn't with the Republicans. We know they're not going to vote for it. We're getting stumbling blocks within the Democratic Party, Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema. So there's some things going on as they're trying to negotiate this out. But if you watch the TV news, you keep hearing the talking heads say, well, it's stalled, it's troubled, we don't know what's going to happen. You can always count on the media to take the best possible situation or the worst possible situation and hype it up. Because all they're looking for is viewers, their media clickbait, and that's all they're doing. So when they tell you that all is lost and these bills are stalled and it may never happen, they aren't really telling you the truth. They know better than that. They know this almost has to get done and there will be some negotiations. Unfortunately, Joe Manchin, this one senator in this small state that never mattered much to anybody, meaning Manchin, not the state. The state's cool. I like the state. But Joe Manchin hasn't meant much to anybody. He's a Democratic senator in a Republican state, and he often sides with Republicans. Why not just be a fucking Republican? But no, he doesn't do it. He's in the Democratic Party, and uh, he has a problem with this $3.5 trillion Build Back Better bill. And for the longest time, he wasn't saying what his problem with it is. So you can't negotiate with somebody if they don't have demands or requests or suggestions. So this is just kind of stalled out there. And of all, of, of course, all the media are going, oh, my God, the sky is falling. It's not going to happen. Joe Biden is going to lose this one. Joe Biden is not going to lose this one. It's just a matter of how he's going to get there. See, the, the fact of the matter is, is anytime you deal in Congress, in the Senate particularly, and you're trying to come up with a bill of this size, and they've virtually never done it before, but even smaller bills, it takes a while. It takes a lot of dicking around because we've got a lot of egos in the Senate. And all of them think they're the most powerful people in the world. Joe Manchin is kind of powerful at this point by default because he's the one Democrat that's going the other way. Yeah, I know Kristen Sinema is in there too, but she doesn't know what the fuck she's doing, and she'll go whatever Manchin goes. So we got to get Manchin straightened away, and Sinema will fall in behind, I'm sure. So as they're finally talking about this, and Joe Manchin is finally talking about the things he wants and doesn't want, It turns out, it looks like in this big bill, that the one thing that's going to fall by the wayside is uh, the big effort that Joe Biden wants to take in this bill to fight climate change, particularly the Clean Electricity Performance Program that's in this bill. Now, we know that climate change is causing all kinds of problems in this country. We know that Joe Biden and a number of other people in his administration are going over to a climate summit. So Joe wanted to get something like this nailed down so he could walk with something in his pocket and tell the folks, hey, we did this, now you should do that. Problem is, is Joe Manchin wants that out of there. Now, why in the world would anybody want 
money for climate change out of that bill? Well, I'll tell you why. Joe Manchin is the biggest beneficiary of donations from big oil. Not to mention the coal industry, because that state is run by the coal industry. Last thing he wants is clean energy. Doesn't give a shit about the country or the ecology of this country, or the world for that matter, long as his boys in big oil and coal get their due. So by putting this this uh, agenda, this program in the bill, the Clean Electricity Performance Program, that's going to work against his boys. And that's where this is all coming from in the first place, why he's been standing against this. He doesn't like that because it's working against the people that put money in his fucking pocket. He doesn't care about the cleanliness of this country or this world. He just wants to take care of the guys that pay him the money. Okay, so what do you do with that? Do you argue with him about it? Do you try to sell him on it? You're never going to sell him on it because it works against his very reason for being in the Senate. So what do you do in this situation? I think Joe Biden, the progressives in the Democrat Democratic Party, and the Democrats as a, as a whole have to look at the long game here. They have to look at the long game. You may not get everything you want now, but if you get something now, it's going to make it easier for you to get what you want later. So hear me out on this. This this $3.5 trillion reconciliation bill brings a lot of good to this country. Now, if the bipartisan bill doesn't pass and the reconciliation bill doesn't pass, Joe Biden and the Democrats are going to take a huge hit. In spite of the fact that they've done a lot of other things, the perception by the voting bloc, because there's a lot of dumb people out there, We'll see it as total failure by the Biden administration, and that's going to cause them problems in 2022 and maybe ultimately 2024. So what's going to happen is they're going to lose votes. They're going to lose seats. And if the worst could happen, they lose majority in the House, majority in the Senate, then Joe Biden gets nothing done for the remainder of his time in office. We know that's true because that's what the Republicans did to to uh, Obama. And they will do it to Joe Biden just to own him, just to hopefully win the next election for the presidency in 2024. So what do we do here? Again, you've got to look at the long game. And the long game here is you've got to preserve the momentum and the perception of the Democrats. Now, if you say to Joe Manchin, say, look, you sign on to this bill, we'll take out the Clean Electricity Performance Program if you sign on this bill. And if he says yes, you do that deal right now. You fucking do that deal right now. And here's why. That big bill is going to cover child care, health care, Medicare, It's going to do a lot of good for people, put money in people's pockets. And when that's done, that's going to give a great perception 
of Joe Biden and the Democrats coming into 2022. Yes, you gave away the clean energy bill. And people are going to say, you can't give that away. We need it now. Yes, I know we need it now. But if you don't do anything, you're going to look like shit. You're going to lose in 2022, and you're not going to gain anything at all. So what you do is you give Manchin his due now. You lop off the Clean Electricity Performance Program. You pass the rest of the bill. Improve the economy, improve the stock market, improve everybody's lives. Now Joe Biden's a hero. The Democrats are heroes. Come 2022, it's going to be much easier to gain seats in the House and the Senate, which is what they must do. You want to gain as many seats in the Senate as you can, not just to beat the Republicans, but to make Joe Manchin and Cinemas effect on the Senate, negligible. You want to take the power away from Manchin and Cinema. They are going to be a thorn in the side of the Democrats until you do such. Now, the thing about it is, if you pass no bills because you're sticking to your guns, you're losing. You lose everything. Nothing gets done. So if you give that away, you sign the bill, get the goodwill, get some more power in 2022 or even next year. Then what you do is when you've got everybody on your side, you take that clear electricity performance program and you shove it down their fucking throat because now they don't have any power. They would love to see nothing happen because then everybody will say, well, we'll vote for the Republicans now because the Democrats couldn't do anything. I hope the Democrats are smarter than that, the progressives and the regular Democrats. We need to get something done. And as long as it's doing a lot of good for the people, that's the good first step. Here's the important thing to know. Even if that bill is $2 trillion coupled with the $1.2 trillion bipartisan bill, that is historical in its own right. That will do more good for this country than we've seen since FDR and the New Deal. So this is a big deal. Joe Biden gets this passed. He's going to be a huge hero. And that's going to make 2022 and 2024 much easier. So don't cut your nose off to spite your face. Give Joe Manchin what what he wants for now. Get what you want. And then once you have it, go after the other shit. Go after it hard and fast. That's really the only way to deal with this. It's kind of a no-brainer, and I hope people's egos are in check enough where they can understand that. They get this thing done, and then we focus on the other as soon as the big bill and the bipartisan bill is done. Now, we know that Joe Biden has acknowledged that uh, he's going to have to settle for less than $3.5 trillion. Now, the progressives will tell you, well, we started out with $6 million. We negotiated down to $3.5 trillion. We've already come down from that. We shouldn't have to come down any farther. I get it, man. And in any negotiation where each side is equal, that makes sense. But unfortunately, that's not the position you're in now. you got Joe Manchin in your way. So what you need to do is pass what you got, get Joe Manchin the fuck out of your way, and then do what you want. 
something very serious to think about. Now, Joe Biden is involved in this negotiations. And believe it or not, it's negotiations with his own freaking party. He's got the progressives, the Democrats, and now Manchin and Cinema. So Biden is sticking his nose in the middle of it and helping to negotiate this. He says he's got messages for Manchin and Cinema. It'll be interesting to see what he says, because here's the deal. Joe's been in the Senate for 40 years. Uh, you can you can like him or dislike him. He is experienced, and he knows about negotiating, negotiating deals, and he knows the angles and the leverage in the Senate. Right now, the Democrats don't have a lot of leverage because they got two working against him. So take what you can get now, get it done fast and furious, and then use that success, use that win, and use that momentum to get the rest of what you want. We'll see how they play this out, but I got to believe Joe Biden is thinking the same thing. He knows better than just to give it away. And all these media people that are saying, oh, it might not happen. It might not. Shut the fuck up. You don't know what you're talking about. Have you never covered Congress before? Something's going to happen. It may not be all of what we hope for, but it'll be enough to make Biden and the Democrats look good and help them in 2022. I wanted to uh, talk about something else Joe Biden did today. You know, we're talking about the select committee and uh, we're talking about the subpoenas that went out. Now, Steve Bannon is refusing to comply with the subpoenas. So come next week, the House Select Committee is going to vote to refer him to the DOJ for criminal contempt. It will go to the full House, and that will pass because it's a Democratic majority, and they will send it to the DOJ, Garrett, uh, Merrick Garland and the U.S. Uh, attorney. Now, the question is, what is the U.S. attorney going to do? What is Garrick, I keep saying it wrong, Merrick Garland? We'll change Merrick Garland's name just so it can fit my mouth. But anyway, there's some talk that they might go easy on it, may not prosecute it, whatever. By law, they're supposed to put it in front of the grand jury, so I would assume they'd do that. But, uh, you know, usually these people think, well, you know, we're, we don't want to make it look like a political thing. Fuck you. It's not a political thing. Somebody breaks the law. You need to charge them. If it was me or you or anybody else that's normal, there would be no question in your mind. But you're worried about politics. Let the politicians worry about politics. You worry about the law and enforcing the law. But here's the thing. Now, when Joe Biden came into office, he said that he would not try to control anything in the DOJ. And that's what presidents are supposed to do. That said, Donald Trump did everything he could to use and manipulate and control the DOJ all four years. That's why things went so badly for the DOJ and Donald Trump. Now, Joe Biden said he wouldn't do that, but somebody in the media asked him today, should the DOJ file charges against Steve Bannon and anybody else not complying with the subpoenas? And Joe Biden said they should prosecute these people. That's their job. They should do it. 
Now there's plenty of people in an uproar on the Republican side who will say, oh, Joe said he wasn't going to uh, try to make the DOJ do anything, try to control the DOJ. That's not what Joe was doing. Joe's the president of the United States. He's dealing with an insurrection on the U.S. Capitol. He's saying people that committed crimes should be prosecuted. And that's what he's telling them to do. But expect the Republicans to come out and see. See, he's involved in the DOJ. He's manipulating the DOJ. That is not what he said he would do. He said he'd leave them alone and let them decide for themselves. Well, he's not sticking his nose in the DOJ. He just offered an opinion on what he thought, and it's the right opinion. Now, if Merrick Garland feels pressure because of that, good. He shouldn't have to have pressure to do his fucking job. And at this point, I'm not sure about Merrick Garland. He seems too weak. He seems too unwilling to do what he's supposed to do. He's still got Trump appointees in the DOJ, and he's been there, what, for six months? Jesus. I'm a little concerned about Merrick Garland at this point. We'll see what he does in the long run. But Joe Biden said he they should prosecute. We'll see if Merrick Garland does. If they don't, we've got huge problems. That means this Congress has no teeth. The DOJ has no teeth. And that anybody who wants to try to commit an insurrection against this country gets a free fucking pass. We can't have that. Because all that will do is cause more people to consider that as an option. So don't blame Joe Biden for trying to manipulate the DOJ. That's not what he was doing. He was giving his opinion as president of the United States. He's entitled to do that. He didn't tell Merrick Garland what to do or how to do it like Donald Trump did with uh, with uh, his attorneys general, and they were numerous. Uh, but But Joe Biden is the leader of this country. He hired or appointed Merrick Garland. He is Merrick Garland's direct superior. Now, he's leaving them to try to be as autonomous as possible because that's the ethical thing to do. But that doesn't mean that Joe Biden can't express his opinion, which he did. So when the Republicans start screaming about this, how Joe's involved in the DOJ, shut the fuck up. You didn't say a goddamn word when Donald Trump was doing the exact same thing, except really doing it, trying to overturn this country by co-opting an assistant attorney general in Jeff Clark to try to send out fake letters to the states he lost so that they would stop certifying the election. You got no room to talk. Joe Biden isn't doing that. Joe Biden's looking out for the betterment of this country and trying to make insurrectionists accountable for their acts. If this was 150 years ago, these fucking people would be hanging from a gallows. So to make them accountable and put them in jail is not a bad thing. And when Steve Bannon gets a subpoena from Congress, which is strong as getting a subpoena from a court, if you don't show up, you are breaking the law. And you deserve to be indicted, prosecuted, and punished for breaking that law. It's a simple thing. It's only a year sentence, dude. You had a bigger sentence when when, when uh, Donald Trump pardoned you. 
You can do a year standing on your head. And I'm looking forward to you doing just that. All right, we'll take a break. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Well, we were talking about the insurrection. Let's continue along that vein because something interesting happened today. Gentleman by the name of Michael Riley. He is a U.S. Capitol Police officer. He's 50 years old, 25 year veteran of the police force at the Capitol. He was arrested today for obstruction of justice. Now, it's interesting that this guy truly obstructed justice. I mean, this guy's guilty even before he goes to court because it's all there in print. Now, after the insurrection, Mr. Riley was perusing his Facebook pages, as Capitol Police are wont to do, (laughs) and he ran across a guy, just like the day after, posting um, pictures of himself inside the Capitol and ranting and raving about what a great success the insurrection was. Now, being a nice guy, Michael Riley, this U.S. Capitol cop, contacted that person doing the selfies in the Capitol and said, Listen, dude, I agree with your politics, but you got to remove those posts showing you inside the Capitol. They're arresting people that went inside the Capitol, just looking out. Now, that's what the Capitol police officer said to him. And then about mid-January, he went to the guy on Facebook and said, get off social media. They're arresting dozens of people a day and charging them with felonies. Get off Facebook and all social media. At some point, they went and talked on the phone. And apparently, the contact that Riley was talking to was getting some kickback from some of his friends saying, oh, that's bullshit, we're going to do it. And Michael Riley, Officer Riley, was upset about that and said, look, you tell them that they're talking to the Capitol Police. So all these insurrectionists who are stupid enough to post their pictures on Facebook, and we know there were many of them, he's trying to help them, trying to save them from getting arrested, getting investigated. So he's warning them to get off all social media so they don't get caught. And then probably five days later, around January 20th, around the the inauguration, and I have a feeling he did this around the inauguration because in the back of his mind, somehow he believed Donald Trump would reemerge. But when it was eminent that... um, Joe Biden would take office, he knew he might be in a little trouble. So what's he do? He deleted his Facebook and all the messages he sent to this gentleman and other people. Who knows whatever else he said. <laughs> he must not be a much of a technological genius because by just deleting Facebook and these messages, you aren't safe, dude. 
They still have them. The federal government can still get them, and get them they did. So now he's been arrested for obstruction of justice, and when you just heard the story that I just told you, it's clear (laughs) that's exactly what he did. I mean, there's almost no question about it. It's all in writing. It's all in print. It's all on social media. You've got an insurrectionist who admits he was an insurrectionist, admitting that he broke into the Capitol. And this police officer who is being paid to protect the Capitol and the people in it are trying to help, is trying to help this guy avoid justice. That's funny. That seems contradictory or the polar opposite of what he was hired to do. But somehow he thinks it's right. Somehow in his mind, he sees the overthrow of this government, the undermining of this democracy, the right thing to do. Well, if you believe that, Mr. Riley, maybe you shouldn't be a fucking cop. How did you ever end up a cop anyway? 25 years on the force. How else did you fuck over this country and other people in this country in your 25 years? He's going to go to court for this obstruction of justice. He's probably going to go to jail. I don't know how long, probably not a long time, but long enough to make him think about it. But at the very least, he should be fired from his job. He was doing just the opposite of what he was hired to do. Taxpayer money paid him to protect the capital, and he did the opposite. These kind of people upset me. They apparently think they're better and smarter than their positions. They get to pick and choose what the agenda is as opposed to what the the the, the direction the organization they work for are supposed to do. Now, I had somebody come to me on my TikTok page, and they were saying, what about the other cops that were opening gates and letting them indoors? Aren't all of those guys obstructing justice? Or aren't all of those people somehow guilty as being part of the insurrection? And to be perfectly honest with you, some of them very well could be assisting the insurrectionist, and they should be investigated and tried. If they found guilty, they should be punished. But I think there's something else you have to consider when you are looking at what we saw on January 6th. Yes, there were police officers letting people in gates and letting them indoors and walk through corridors and doing whatever. But does that make them all accountable and helping the insurrectionist? I don't think so. I may be wrong about this, but think of yourself in this situation. You're a cop. You're being overrun. You're totally outnumbered. There's really not much you can do. You could start shooting, but then you'll end up dead because the crowd will overtake you. You can't fight them because there's too many of them. So what do you do? You try to de-escalate the situation, calm people down. Instead of fighting back, you've got to just let it play out and get it out of the way. That may not be the the brave thing to do, but if you know you're not going to make it through this, what do you do? So they want to go into the uh, Senate or the House chambers. Well, they should not be in there. But if you've got a thousand people in front of you and you're one guy, what are you going to do? Are you going to let them run over you, kill you, whatever, and get in anyway? 
or are you going to try to just get them in there and calm the situation down? That's what I see some of those cops doing. I don't think they were all helping the insurrectionists. I just don't. There were plenty of cops out there that were heroic in the things they did. They tried to fight, and they were attacked, and they were beaten, and they were brutalized. Now, maybe these people could have been braver or tougher, but not all people rise to the occasion when there's something like that in front of them. When they're confronted with danger, what do you do? I think some of them made the best choice they could make. It didn't look good on video, but what else are they going to do? Imagine one guy, 500, 300, 1,000 people coming at you. What are you going to do? You're not going to fight them, I tell you that right now, because you're going to lose and the end result will be the same, if not worse. So if you try to maintain some order, give them what they want for the moment, and then sort out the crimes afterwards. That seems like the better thing to do. Discretion is the better part of valor. So you can claim all those people were helping the insurrectionist, but uh, I don't know that that's true. We'll see how it all shakes out, and we'll see how, uh, um, how the indictments and the investigations go. There were probably, well, we know there were at least six cops because six cops on the U.S. Capitol police force were either fired or punished for things they did improperly during the insurrection. So we know there are at least six cops, and I presume this guy, Mike Riley, was one of those six. Maybe not, but we'll see how all of that shakes out. But don't don't go uh, suggesting that all of them are insurrectionists because they did what they did. They did what they had to do. They were outnumbered, and it could only go badly. So at that point, all they can really do is try to make it go less badly. It was a bad situation, but we had enough deaths, enough injuries, And if you can stop people from getting injured or killed, well, then you're doing your job to the best ability. These people didn't have many options. They didn't have any support. Remember Donald Trump told the National Guard, you can't do certain things, and then they delayed having them come help out? I mean, I think that was the one thing that upset me more than anything as I'm watching this. I'm seeing these toothless fucking rednecks attack the U.S. Capitol, and I'm thinking to myself, this is the government of the United States, and they can't stop these fucks? Well, they can't stop them if they hold people back like the National Guard, like Donald Trump did. So they were, these police officers were basically being sacrificed by Donald Trump. And once you realize that, I mean, if you're a cop there and you've got all these people and absolutely no help, you know what the fuck is going on. You know you're being sacrificed. So are you willing to let yourself die for this, especially when you know it won't do any good? I don't think so. I just don't think so. So anyway, Mike Riley is charged with obstruction of justice, justifiably so. And we'll see how it shakes out when he goes to trial. Well, let's talk about Donald Trump, that dumb son of a bitch. You know, honestly, I say this all the time. Donald Trump 
is not a genius strategist. He's not playing 3D chess. He's a narcissist, a sociopath, and a pathological liar. I know these people. I've dealt with people like this. They're used to bullying, and all they do is say whatever comes in their mind, and they spit it out their mouth, and they assume and they assume you assume that it's all correct, all true, and all absolute genius. There's no intelligence in this. He just pulls this shit out of his ass. And I can prove it to you. Donald Trump was speaking at a gathering of elite Republican donors and lobbyists in Palm Beach in Florida. That was on, I don't know, what was that, Thursday? They were strategizing. All these dumb fucks were getting together, all these rich people that are idiots, clearly. But they were getting together to strategize to fight back after that 2020 loss. They wanted to get some things back for 2022, and they wanted to get Donald Trump back in office in 2024. I mean, that's why they were there. Donald Trump only does fundraisers and rallies, because that's all he knows how to do. But but we know that when Donald Trump goes off script, which he always does, you can almost guarantee that he's going to say something. He's going to fuck up somehow or make it worse for himself. Now, to be perfectly honest with you, in the four years that Donald Trump was president of the United States, if he could just be smart enough to keep his mouth shut, he wouldn't have been in as many problems as he had during the four years and now following uh, the the presidency, all the things he's going through now. If he just learned how to shut his mouth, he probably wouldn't have had as much trouble as he has now. So given that, he's speaking in front of these elite Republicans, whatever the fuck that means, and just out of the blue, totally apropos of nothing, he says, oh, by the way, I don't like getting peed on. <laughs> what? <laughs> Did he just say that? He says, yeah, I'm not into golden showers. <laughs> and then he says, you know, the great thing, our great first lady, that one, she said, I don't believe that one. <laughs> now, nobody brought this up in the talk. Fact of the matter is that rumor of, of being a pee tape that, um, uh, the Russians are supposed to have, that's been kind of fading off into the distance. But leave it to Donald Trump to bring it back to the forefront again, even though it's working against him. And the First Lady, she doesn't believe that one. <laughs> that would suggest she re, re, uh, she believes some of the others, like uh, raping a 13-year-old, raping a woman in a New York department store, grabbing people's women's genitals, um, sexually abusing, sexually harassing women, hanging out with Jeff Epstein. Apparently she believes all that stuff. But this one, these P tapes, <laughs> she doesn't believe that one. The thing about it is, is as I understood that P tape as it was explained, what Donald Trump is saying here is true. I don't like getting peed on. I'm not into golden showers. But that's not what's supposed to be on the tape. 
at least from what I've heard. And again, this is all a rumor. We don't even know if it's true. What I understood that video to be was in a Russian hotel. He had two women with him. And it turns out that that room was the same room the Obamas stayed in. So as disrespect to the Obamas, Donald Trump had these two women bouncing on the bed and peeing on Obama's bed. And then he'd get another room and get the fuck out of there. It wasn't about peeing on Donald Trump. It wasn't about golden showers. It was about disrespecting Obama and having these girls pee on the bed. Not that that's any better. (laughs) That video is going to be worth some money if it actually comes out. And that's the question I have here. Since this was fading off into obscurity, why would he bring it up again? You know, the funny thing about Donald Trump, he's one to blame people for things that apparently he's guilty of. He's the one talking about all the pedophiles in the Democratic Party. But it's funny, those people being busted for pedophilia all seem to be Republicans, all seem to be Trump fans. Now, here's the thing for me. If I'm guilty of something, I'm just not bringing it up at all. I don't want it in the conversation because then people start looking around. But Donald Trump has a different tactic. He does something awful. Then he blames somebody else for that very same thing. Now it's in the middle of the conversation and there's a chance they're going to look at him because the Democrats are going to say, no, that's not us. That's him. So now we got to look at him. Donald Trump needs to understand how to avoid getting himself in trouble. Don't bring it up, especially since it was faded away and nobody really was sure if they believed it or not. Now you bring it up again, and the question is why? Well, given his track record and the way he handles things, you got to believe that maybe something about this may be coming out. Maybe he's trying to dull the edge (laughs) before it comes out. I don't know if that's true. But if nothing else, as I said going into this particular segment, Donald Trump is stupid. He's a dumb fuck. And if he shut his mouth once in a while, he wouldn't be in as much trouble as he is. And in this conversation, in this speech he did in front of the elite Republicans, If he hadn't brought it up, it wouldn't have been an issue again and probably would have faded away into obscurity. But now he has to bring it to the surface, and it's just going to cause him more troubles. If that isn't a dumb fuck, I don't know who is. All right, the last thing we're going to talk about, you know, this country is changing mightily. It really is. And it all happened with COVID. You know, prior to COVID, everything was normal. People got their jobs. They were lucky to have jobs. They got paid shit wages, and they just did what they did. Now, COVID hits, and these people that are out of jobs now by virtue of COVID start getting extra unemployment payments to get by. But I think the important thing to understand is, and I can't believe Republicans don't get this, They didn't give people that extra money for unemployment to save them. They did it to save the economy. They needed money to continue to flow. So as much as it may have helped out those people that weren't employed, it also helped out this country even more by keeping commerce running. That was crucial 
uh, because this, this economy would have crashed had they not done it. Now the Republicans were seeing these shortages as COVID kind of tailed off some. They saw all these shortages in workers. So, of course, they go to the money going back to the people and say, well, if you didn't give all these people this extra money, they'd go back to their jobs. So the Republicans canceled those payments in in several of their states, and now it's done altogether. So no states or no people are getting the extra federal payments. But you know what? People aren't going back to work. There's still a shortage. So now we're seeing a lot of activity with unions. We haven't seen unions doing anything too crazy for decades. But now we are. We're seeing strikes by people uh, with Kellogg's, the cereal company, John Deere. Hollywood's looking at a a serious-ass strike of 60,000 people. There's nurses. There's all kinds of people striking. Now, why are they striking? And why are people not coming back to work? Well, I'll tell you. First of all, the unions and the people that are striking are doing it because now they have leverage. Back in the old days when it was tough to get a job and people were taking shit wages, they really didn't have any leverage. But now when you've got uh, a shortage on workers, these people have leverage. People at Kellogg's, people at John Deere, they can shut those fucking companies down and they do a lot of business. And if everybody walks away, they got all kinds of problems. Now they have to negotiate with these people. These people now have leverage. They have some power. And that's a huge change in this country. But why aren't people going back to work, generally speaking? Well, I think a lot of things happened during COVID. There are a lot of people my age and older that were working. And they finally said, fuck this. I ain't doing this anymore. I'm close to retirement. I'll just retire. And that's one thing this country has to realize. There are 71 million baby boomers in this country. They're all getting to the point of retirement. That's a big segment of the workforce. And if they all quit at once, that's going to cause even bigger problems than we're seeing now. But there's all... all, all also, some mothers out there that had kids. My, my um, daughter-in-law had a brand new baby, my pride and joy, my granddaughter. She worked prior to COVID. Then she had the baby, was going to take some time off. She did that. Then she got let go from her company because they went out of business. And now she found it harder to figure out a way to go back to work because now they have to deal with child care and the expense of that. But now you got to get a job in order to justify that. And then you got to get a job that pays enough to justify going to the work, going to work and having some money left over after you pay that child care. So there are a lot of mothers that didn't go back. And there were a lot of people that got just booted out the door when things got tough. The hospitality associations and such, they just kicked people out with no kind of heart at all. Now that it's coming back, people are going out to dinner again. These people have said, look, they treated us badly. They pay us badly. The working conditions suck. I don't want to go back into that business. I'll try something where I can make a few extra bucks. 
So now we have this problem with shortage of workers. It's tough for business, but it's good that the workers finally get some leverage. For years, you were treated like you were lucky to have a freaking job, and you were lucky to get shit wages. But now the leverage is on the side of the workers, where it should be, quite frankly. These people who make products or services or whatever make a ton of money, and they try to pay you and I as little as they can get away with. They can pay more, but they don't because they had a surplus of people willing to come to work. Well, now all of a sudden they don't. And it's not going to get better for a while because, as I said, we boomers, 71 million are in the workforce. And a lot of us are saying, fuck it, we're just going to retire. You're going to have to fill those spots. Now, there was this fight for many a year about the minimum wage. And there's been a fight now to try to make the minimum wage 15 bucks an hour. And everybody is saying, oh, they couldn't do that or they'll go out of business, which is absolute bullshit. But Republicans are always one to talk about free market. We got to let the free market work. Well, it's working now, motherfucker. You got a shortage of workers. So you know what that means? You got to pay them more. You got to treat them better because they got options now. You may not get the law passed where you get uh, minimum wage, but you're going to get people that have to offer $15 or more minimum wage in order to get somebody to work. And if they can't work, then you don't have a business and you lose a shitload of money. Republicans want the free market. You got the free market. Now you're going to have to pay the price. You're going to have to pay people what they're worth and pay them a living wage. Whether the government tells you to do it or not, if you want to continue to exist, if you want to continue to make money and be in business, you better be ready to compete because now you have to compete for workers. And I think this is a good thing for this country. It's going to make people more money. And it's going to make them more prosperous. And as much as people think that businesses are going to go out of business because they got to pay more people money, I think that's bullshit. Because when you give the people more money, they can buy more shit. You buy more shit. That's good for the economy. These people who are now paying more for workers are selling more stuff because more people can afford it. It seems like simple math to me. All right. Let's wrap things up. Again, if you have questions or comments, email me at rationalboomer at gmail.com. Leave me a voicemail at anchor.fm. Go to Rational Boomer. Leave the voicemail there. Love to hear from you. I love hearing from you folks. So anyway, let's wrap this up, and we'll talk again real soon. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.